Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Think about it, 2020 has turned many of our lives upside down, so who couldn't use a major dose of hope? I'd like to ask you to share this podcast with friends or on your social media outlets and perhaps review it on Apple so others will find this podcast easily. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and sprinkled in along the way will be additional Romans 828 stories from our She Writes for Him bootcamp graduates and others the Lord brings my way. So let's get started. Well, hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to one of our newest Redemption Press authors, Karen Pennington, author of An Anointed Mess. And Karen has an incredible Romans 8.28 story she's going to share today. And we're going to dig into her book and the principles that she shares in there. And then on the second half of the show, we are going to have a couple of She Writes for Him boot camp graduates who are going to share their Romans 828 stories. So before I introduce you to Karen, let me give her a proper introduction. A podcaster committed to seeking excellence, fun, and wisdom of God in daily living, Karen Pennington also has written and published Christian magazine articles. Her career has centered on education and Christian ministry, including local, regional, and national lay ministries, curriculum development, and conference and seminar planning. Karen now enjoys substitute teaching and serving at her church. She and her husband, Ben, live in Jamestown, New York, and consider church and Sunday family dinners with granddaughter Amelia, who happens to be the light of their lives, daughter Alethea, and son-in-law Baker, the highlight of each week. Second to being in the presence of those she loves, Karen's happy places are the beach and in the middle of a good clearance sale. She hosts the Daily Adventures in Grace podcast at Karen Marie Pennington, dot podbean.com. So let's roll that conversation. Well, Karen Pennington, it's so good to have you on the All Things Podcast. I was excited when we met at Blue Ridge face to face and that I knew we were going to be able to get to do this soon. So welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Amen. So before we start talking about your book, an anointed mess. I love that title, by the way. So before we go there, I would just love for our listeners to hear a little more backstory, just how God works in your life. So whatever favorite Romans 828 story that you would like to share, I'd love to just start there. Oh, thank you. Backstory. I love that word backstory. I'm in love with stories. Yeah. I love backstories. And I'll tell you, this is about the most difficult question you could ask me. Not because I don't have an answer, but because I have too many answers. <laughs> first of all, 
writing this book and then living it and then really being challenged to live out, you know, can God really show me grace every day? And then you see that God does. And so how do you put that in an answer to a question? How do you put all things into small words? And you add to that, that I have an overabundance of words always. <laughs> so, so I thought of an analogy when I have too many words. And that's kind of that of a house where, you know, when you're remodeling and rebuilding the house, there's that part where it gets gutted out and you have to work on the structure and the framework. Then you have the part where it's kind of refined and you know, you're adding little things and more and more gets refined. And then you're building, sometimes you build the integrity just by the little by little daily improvements. And I've had points in my life and I take, I talk about them in my book where I was just gutted, you know, <laughs> everything lost at once. I, there was a week, one week, six or seven years ago, seven years after I thought the book was supposed to be published, that I lost my job, my husband, my future, my car, my phone, my, I'm missing something, my computer, my vision, almost my sanity, all literally within a one week period, which also happened to be one week of my anniversary. And God brought it all back <laughs> very much more than that. But that was when I was gutted. And there have been other times that have just really been, it's like the foundation was scooped out and I didn't even know it was a bad foundation until it was broken. And that's grace. But where God has really been working on me is the refinement over the past few years. It's the daily, how am I going to pay my bills? And really this idea of where do I work? What is my job supposed to be? You know, we're often defined in this culture by what our job is, you know, one of the first things people ask you is, what do you do for a living? I have a hard time answering that because I do so much. <laughs> now, when I was 15, I knew everything, of course. I knew what <laughs> I, I was going to do. <laughs> I knew what I was going to do. I knew exactly how I was going to do it. I knew who I was going to marry. He didn't know, but I told God and I was waiting on God to, you know, fulfill my request. Because back then when I knew everything, God was also a vending machine. And of course, <laughs> I learned. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> And I had it all laid out. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I knew I had been called to ministry. And that was a call that I assumed that, okay, God, I'll take it from here. I knew what that looked like. I thought it was pastoral. I thought it was in a particular congregation. I thought it was in a particular place. I knew I was going to a particular school. And almost none of that happened. Mm. <laughs> almost none of that happened. So when all of these breakdowns happened, when you know my marriage fell apart, when I realized this denomination, I mean, it's not where God wants me. Wait, wait this is who I am. What? what? You know, <laughs> all these things were left with a very practical idea of, okay, how do I make money now? Mm. And um, there were a couple different ways. I got some really cool jobs. I was, you know, I had an editor somewhere. I was in charge of an institute. I was, you know, I got to do these really cool things and meet these really cool people. And I grew from them, but it, they weren't really where I was meant to be long-term. I learned from them. It was maybe a short-term divine assignment. And where I'm landing of all places is the one thing in high school that I thought would be the worst possible job ever <laughs> when I was looking for a job because I'm in that crunch where I have a degree and it's enough of a degree that you can't get hired at Walmart, but too much of a degree that you can't get, <laughs> you know, right. it's a really hard crunch. And it, it it's almost embarrassing to talk about, except for, I know how many people out there are in that same crunch right now and mm. trying to redefine, okay, I gotta, I gotta rebuild. This isn't going to pay my bills. I do happen to have the lowest paying master's degree 
period. So, so I love what I know, but I don't make money off of it. And there are a few other options. I could go into full-time ministry and that could be stable, but I'm certain that pastoral ministry is not part of my identity right now. Mm. Um, so as I'm trying to figure this out, just because I thought I need to make money, I started substitute teaching. And honestly, in high school, I remember thinking, this is the worst job ever. (laughs) (laughs) And God laughed. God laughed when you said that. (laughs) Like, it's like, maybe the only thing under that would be cleaning toilets. And I did that too. So, So, and then I went through and I had some other jobs. They paid more. They did better. I'm still moving towards my calling, which I'm quickly learning is not defined by what pays the bills right now. Mm. And, um, hey, say that again. <laughs> I learned Your calling is not defined by what pays the bills right now. My calling Ooh. Ooh. is not defined by what pays the bills right now. That, that is good. That's so, good stuff right there. Well, and, and if you think about it, Paul was a tent maker. That yep. means literally he made tents while he did this thing as the most well-known evangelist of all time in mm. history. And he yep. introduced Christ to the world and he changed the world, but that didn't pay the bills. <laughs> so, yep. so I'm learning that. And as I'm doing this and as I'm moving towards finally getting my book published and God's timing, I realize I'm supposed to be a substitute teacher. I'm looking at these other jobs that pay better bills and, and not only like I have to, but I want to be a substitute teacher in the inner city that Nobody else, nobody, nobody else wants to do it. Every time I walk in, people go, thank you. No one wants to do this, but there's so much joy in it. And I found a ministry in it. There's a ministry in treating kids who feel rejected like human beings. There is a, there's a humility about it, you know, because there's not really a status with it. And that idea of just that this God can refine you. I mean, talk about being refined through everyday things. Even just, mm. I walk to work. I don't drive to work. I walk to work. The people I see on the street, you know, people in town know me. I'm the lady that walks on the sidewalk all over town every day. But I live in a small <laughs> town. But you, just that idea of seeing God's grace every day and the things that different kids say to you and the challenging questions that are asked, the opportunities that you get through ministry. Mm. I've, I'm absolutely in awe, things that I can never have touched as a pastor and people need pastors, but there are areas that pastors don't touch connections. I've been able to make just by being like a person in the circumstance have been absolutely mind blowing. And the joy that comes from that, man, God really taught me. Cause I'll tell you, I would not have chosen it. I would not have chosen Jamestown, New York. I like warm. I like city. I'm in a small town in the snow belt. (laughs) (laughs) I love how God just, you know, he guts you out, you know, I mean, got, gets rid of that foundation that wasn't strong and re, you know, kind of started you from square one and look what he's done. I love that. How he worked good, even out of not only that pain and that loss, but also just not knowing what you were supposed to do when you grew up, you know, as an adult, wondering. Right. Still working on that one. <laughs> yeah, but I love, I love that substitute teacher. The one thing you told God you never wanted to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he's like in a heaven saying, he's just like chuckling, like, how's that working for you? Yep. yep. You know? 
I, I think God laughs a lot more than we give God credit for. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I love that. So I want to jump into your new book and let me start with this question. Since grace is the overarching theme of your book, and it's not only reflected in the title, but also in each chapter subheading, which breaks down different types of needed grace. How do you define grace? You know, I just came up with this a few minutes ago. I was thinking it through. I know what it means, but I I kind of distilled it. Grace to me is a kiss from God. That is so good. That's right. That is in its simplest form. A little kiss on the cheek. Now I have a granddaughter and of course she's perfect and she's 23 months old and I kiss her all the time and she welcomes it. And as many kisses as I give her, none of them are less special. None of them mean less. Mm. And God, the eternal connects with our lives so often and it's so special. And if we would just recognize it, you know, (laughs) we just recognize it. How much more exciting would our life be? It's like Clark Kent, Superman was working right with everybody and they didn't even know it. (laughs) That's kind of what it's like. We have this Superman of all Superman who's with us all the time. Mm. (laughs) And that's great. Yes. (laughs) Amen. And, you know, I just talked about this the other day that in a sermon, the pastor said, we've lost our wow Mm. and our wonder. And that's what you're talking about. Yes. Yes. Woo. Good. All right. So your book is entitled An Anointed Mess, Discovering the Daily Adventure of Grace. Can you explain what you mean by the daily adventure of grace? Sure. Um, (laughs) I mean, every day God kisses us. I mean, every day there's excitement. Every day there's wonder. I recently did a survey of Jesus' parables, and I found exactly one parable that didn't have to do with everyday stuff. And yet people would sit for days listening to him. Wow. It was about eating. It was about sleeping. It was about drinking. It was about marriage. Even when he talked about treasure of heaven, he was talking about saving money. I mean, we certainly know that. Or not saving money or saving the right way. It was all about what we do every day. And yet it was spectacular because in that God said, here's how God's in it. Jesus said, here's how God's in it. And that's what we're supposed to look for. And when we look for it, we find it. I found, I was challenged myself. Oh my goodness. Can I do this every day? Cause I told everybody else to, and I just asked every day and every day God has showed me it hasn't failed. I love that. And I know exactly he loves to answer that prayer. Amen. When we say, Lord, show me your, your, what you're doing in my life. Yes. Show me glimpses of you yes. all around me. And he loves to answer that prayer. So good for you that, you know, you, you are willing to, because a lot of times, you know, we do as I say, not as I do, thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> especially as parents, right? Right. Amen. (laughs) Well, and I found that I can't, if I sit down and say, here's my big idea of today. I can't, I can't, I have to ask. (laughs) Yeah. I have to Mm -hmm. ask. And that's been very humbling for me in the best possible way, because I know I can't, but I know God can and God does. Amen. Amen. So an anointed mess was 15 years in the making. 
What prompted you to write this book and why did it take so long? (laughs) Well, I thought it was done 14 and a half years ago. (laughs) (laughs) It, It started probably the first time I ever had a super adult problem. Maybe not the first time I was about mid to late twenties. We had bought our first house and we just had this horrible renter. This is horrible. I mean, she never paid us rent. She hadn't paid rent for months. She just kept costing us money. And we said, okay, just keep the place in good condition. Get out. She basically all in all cost us about a 30 years pay. And I'm thinking about it and mulling it over. And I just can't let it go. And in the process of that, I read the parable of the unforgiving servant. Mm -hmm. And I go, oh, that was a hundred days pay. (laughs) And and she owed me a hundred days pay. And all of a sudden it clicked and it came alive. That story where I was like, this is, this is real. And so I wrote about it. I was kind of abbreviated version of one of the chapters in the book. And I put it into a magazine as just a, here you can have it for free thing. And I got some feedback about, oh, I really was with you. I was so mad at that lady and all. And so then a couple months later, my dad got diagnosed with dementia and I had been for about a year, year and a half reading Psalm 46 about God as our refuge and strength. Mm -hmm. And I thought about all of a sudden I went, that's kind of like my dad. He's always been there for me. And that's, I was just so grateful that because I knew all earthly father who gave me such love that was my heavenly father too. So I wrote a chapter about that. Then my daughter had to deal with a school bully. And I thought, and I started reading about King Nebuchadnezzar and it just kept happening over a couple of months. I would see story and then I would see it in scripture and it just connected. And I'm like, other people must deal with this too. And so pretty soon I had seven chapters. I tried to get somebody to represent me because of course now I didn't know quite everything at because I wasn't 15 anymore, but I was in my late 20s. So I still knew a lot more than I do now, I guess. But I, so I was like, so I'm like, I have seven chapters. And then that was the start of one of the firestorms where we just, we lost one position. That, I mean, the recession had just hit. So I lost one of my nonprofit positions, wasn't fired, just the money cut off. And then I just couldn't find another one because master's in Christian ed, does not get you anything but full-time ministry. And so I, and I had no huge professional experience because I outside the church and yet target wouldn't hire me. So I, I, so I went, no, no, that's no problem. I'll just sell my book, you know, because that's how it happens. You write seven chapters and three months later, you're a best-selling author. And so I thought, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it, right. it harder. and then someone said, you need to write a little more. So I doubled it. So I had 14, maybe 15 chapters and, you know, I'm like, I'll just keep, I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. I honest to goodness, even called Eugene Peterson. This is my claim to fame. I am the reason Eugene Peterson did not have a listed number because I found it and I called him because I wanted him to endorse my book. I figured somebody will get it. And the first thing I said to him was, Mr. Peterson, you need to unlist your number. Crazy people will call you. And he was (laughs) kind enough to talk to me for 20 minutes and I just checked about a week later, his number was unlisted. So he took my advice, but so I did get to talk to him. Awesome guy. But <laughs> he ended up, you know, having one or two, you know, translating the Bible and everything, translating the message. He had a couple other things on his plate. So, so I just kept hitting doors and almost, and I would get, there'd be a lot of, we think we want to, but okay, never mind. You're an unknown author. And so after about a year of that, my best friend, I was talking on the phone to my best friend. She said, it's not finished yet. And that just stuck with me. She said, it's not finished yet. God's got more to write in it. 
So I just would periodically come back to it every couple of years, change a chapter, write a chapter, flip it over. Then there was another big breakdown. That was the one where I lost the house and the job and the husband, and then he came back. And, and then there was another couple of years. <laughs> then we lost another couple of jobs. And then this house that started it, we had so many problems with this house. We couldn't sell it. We had to move away. We had bad, more bad renters. We had it just sitting there. We had problems that we had to fix. I have no idea how we didn't go bankrupt in this process. I don't. Uh, people were telling us to go bankrupt. People were like, I don't believe in bankruptcy. Go bankrupt. Forfeit, you know, foreclose. And, but somehow we kept it all through it. And last November, I woke up very early, had a thought in my head, wrote it, put it inside the book. And I went, kind of rewrote the entire last chapter. And I sat and thought, yeah, it's finished. I don't know how I'm going to publish it. We don't have any money. <laughs> my husband had just gotten into a car accident where he, you know, he was on disability. And I don't know how we're going to, but I just, I just like, I knew, I knew it was finished. And uh, within a couple of days, our old neighbors called and said, we want to buy your house. This is the house that nobody would buy. They wanted to buy it at market value. This is the house that no matter what, nobody would buy this house ever. I, we had several realtors look at it. They didn't want to touch it. And then all of a sudden there was a realtor. We didn't even have to pay the realtor fees because somebody wanted to buy it. And I'm like, I'm not telling my husband. Um, and he came to me and he said, Karen, it's time to publish your book. Like just within a couple of days. <laughs> wow. And then a couple months later, so the house that started the book was the house that published it. Wow. I love that. And you know what? So often we think we're done and God's got more for us to go through and more refinement. So we, because he wants those stories shared as well. And I just love the way he built. I mean, that had to build your faith even more. Amen. It's not down my ego like nobody's business, but but that's that's a good thing. You know what? Your life's a lot happier when you realize that you're not God and that someone more qualified has the job. That's just. Amen. Amen. (laughs) So explain your insight into your thought that we're all intimately connected by our burdens and struggles. I love that concept, by the way. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm a people person and I'm a story person. So I will admit this is definitely my personal bias. I will say it probably didn't start with the anointed mass with reap, but in writing it, it really deepened that idea of my connection with scripture. My passion for scripture comes through the stories. And that's just how I see things. I'll read the Psalms and I'll see the backstory. I'll read about how, you know, those really things that seem really boring, like genealogies and I'll see the story in that. And there's something about connecting with other people's pain and passion that brings you closer. You know, you can have that person that you just don't like, you just don't like, you just don't like. Then you get them in a small group and you hear their story. And all of a sudden you go, okay, you know, you can read this 2000 year old, 3000 year old piece of literature about somebody who spoke a different language, was in a different country, totally thought and acted different than you. And you can go, yep, I know that pain. Mm. You can read about Job, nothing like me and go, yeah, I've tried to be faithful yet. I had a hard time not trying to question. And God, you know, I think there's something about our story that releases our humanity. And there's something about humanity that is so similar for all of our differences. More than anything, God's created, as St. Augustine said, God's created us all with a God-shaped vacuum. And when we see that in each other, there's a sort of intimacy that's created 
or God, you, God fills the vacuum, but he uses us to be part of that process. Mm. We get to help him. Yeah, totally. Well, and you know, when you think about it, someone else is going to identify much more with your pain than with your success. Yes. I mean, it's just the way it is. And I think we go through when we realize that we've gone through a similar painful trauma time that bonds us. Hmm. And then God can, God can start kissing more cheeks because (laughs) we've been open and transparent about our pain. Amen. I love it. It's funny. The very things that we build to try to keep the pain out are what's keeping us. It's what keeps us from the good stuff. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So you, let's see if you could briefly explain your own journey with recognizing a need for God's grace. (laughs) Let me see if I can put it in bullet points. When I was 15, I knew everything. And then none of that worked out. I still love the Lord. I just had really no idea what that meant. I didn't really think I needed grace because I had the answers. And then I lost some of the answers when I was in my mid twenties. And I also lost the illusion of control when I was in my mid twenties. And then between then and now, which is, well, I guess, you know, 15 years later, uh, (laughs) I'm a grandma. I can't be that young. Uh, 15 years later, I began to celebrate this. I celebrate this. I started losing that need to be identified by my accomplishments Mm. and by what I did. I like to do, but in this idea of like nothing going the way I thought it would, I told God it should go in my life and the way, and having just so much pulled up, ego pulled up idea, you know, my, my marriage was pulled up from the roots, but it needed to be because now it has stronger roots. I started to learn instead of saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do for God. And that's what validates God. I'm going to win God. And then you'll love me. I have to win God or you're wrong to, I still like to do things, but instead of trying to become out of what I do, I don't know if that makes sense. I try to start with who I am in Christ and let all that flow. It's a response. Yeah. It's not striving. It's a response to what I already have. Mm. And it's a much easier way to live. Oh, amen. (laughs) Amen. So you beautifully state that we should not only seek to receive God's grace, but also to be bearers of grace. So what does that look like in a practical sense? Well, I think it starts with our eyes, really, spiritual or otherwise. I think even as we're looking, as we try to receive God's grace, we got to look for it. We got to, we ask for it. God, I've never had a time where I've said, God, show me. And he didn't show me. May not have been what I wanted, but it was what I needed. You know, may not have been when I wanted, but it was when I needed. I think we can ask a very similar question and God will be very faithful to answer. If we say, God, how can I be a hand of your grace to someone else? How can I witness to somebody else? Maybe even open-ended, God, what do you want me to do today? It could be as simple as saying Jesus loves you to a stranger on the street. You've no idea. I mean, from when I was a teenager, I remember walking by someone's door. My parents worked in a big ministry building and for some reason, I felt like I needed to say, I just want to let you know, Jesus loves you. I'm, and I'm thinking in my head, that's the dorkiest thing ever. I'm like 14, 15 years old, might've been 16, but I just stopped, moved back and said it to her. And the next week, my parents said, what did you say to her? She was crying in a prayer meeting and said, you have no idea. I was praying out to God and saying, God, how, how I need to know. And at that very point, somebody stepped back and said that to her. So 
You're going to make me cry, Athena. (laughs) (laughs) That just makes me so weepy because I love how God does that. And it's totally in spite of us. I had no idea. Sometimes the dorkiest things I think I'm saying, I don't know if I'm saying it right. The dumbest things, if you feel led to say something good, just do it. Yeah. You know, (laughs) if you feel led, if it's bigger stuff, if I want to give someone a thousand dollars, I ask my husband first and we talk about it, but you know, (laughs) yeah, and we'll support it. If it's, you know, we'll pray about it. But when we look for God's grace, we find it. And we look for ways to share God's grace. Not only do we give it, but we find it in return. You're Mm. never not blessed when you do that. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Okay. So last question. You're well, second to last question. Your book states that God will be faithful to walk with us and to work out all for our good. So how can God's grace help in the midst of struggles that don't seem to have an end? I might answer it the same way. I think it starts with our eyes. Mm, yep. When we're focusing on this, it's like when the disciples were in the boat, when they were focusing on the waves, all they're going to think about is how they were going to die. <laughs> yep. Mm. But when you know Jesus is there, if they knew what we knew now, you, you go beyond that. I, I love what Paul says. I memorized it so I wouldn't have to flip through. It's uh, 2 Corinthians 4. And it says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an an eternal glory, which far outweighs them all. (laughs) It's like when we're focused on us, of course it's going to fail. We're focused on the prize. It's like a woman in labor. People who cry out in labor aren't like, well, maybe some are. I wasn't. <laughs> you're in pain, but you're not like, oh, I'm never going to do this again. Put it back. Stop it. No, <laughs> you no. don't want to be in pain. But what comes out of this pain is going to be so joyful that you know you can keep going through this absolutely unbearable thing because you know it's going to be born in it. Mm. It's so much better than anything that you lose right now. And then even with that pain, you, you do it again and you have yes. another baby and yes. it's, you know, it's, it, that's a great analogy because it's <laughs> painful, Oh yes, but it's just like, how can I not love this? The, yes. the result, the, and, the finding, really the result. The, you, I'm so sorry. You spend the rest of your life enjoying the fruits of a couple hours of pain. And when you really think of our life on this earth, when we know this is just a short bit, we're going to spend an eternal time with the fruits of just a little bit of pain here. There's something to be said with for having the right mindset and the right knowledge, you know? You mm-hmm. can bear so much if you know what's on the, what's at the end. And knowing that God is sovereign and he's yeah. good and yeah. he can be trusted. So that that's such a big part of what I see in you in your process is yeah. you you know, you figured that out and you had to keep reminding yourself, but yeah, you, you know, he had a plan and it was not what you thought it was going to be, That's but right. boy, <laughs> did, does he get the glory? Amen. Okay. So quickly, as we wrap up, what would you say your number one tip would be? And I think I already probably know your answer because you've shared <laughs> it so many times, but what would your tip be to someone listening today who? forgets that God really is at work behind the scenes and that, that all things really are going to work together for good, even though we can't see it. 
<laughs> well, God will remind you. <laughs> God will remind you. If you want to know, just ask. Yes. Yep. Ask, seek, knock. God doesn't lie. Mm. He said, if you ask, if you seek, and if you knock, you will get what you need from him. Mm. That simple. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Okay. So if we have some people listening today to the podcast and they are just like, I want to reach out to her. Where's the best place to find you on social media, on the internet, wherever? Well, a good hub point. I'm pretty much all over now, <laughs> but I have a website. It's KarenMariePennington.com. That's my full name. K-A-R-E-N-M-A-R-I-E-P-E-N-N-I-N-G-T-O-N.com. And that is kind of a hub that gets you everywhere else. I have a blog on that website that connects you to my podcast, which is also, it streams through pretty much all the major podcast places, which is Daily Adventures in Grace. It connects you to my book, which is also on most, on pretty much all of the online retailers. sellers. Yep. Um, you'd be able to, you'd know that one. <laughs> but, yep. um, so it, it actually has links, quick links to all of that. So if you don't want to have to look it up, just go straight to KarenMariePennington.com. If you wanted to email me just directly, it's KarenMariePennington at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on. So where are you more? Where are you most mostly Facebook or where are you most active? I'm so active everywhere. <laughs> okay. I'm a little All right. There we go. So um, I, I'm on Facebook a whole lot. I have my regular name there. And then there's also an anointed mess page. But if you were to go to Karen Marie Pennington.com, that gets you anywhere you need to go. All the links are right there. Perfect. Perfect. Well, my friend, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was a joy just to, and it was a joy to have breakfast with you. And it has oh, been a joy was, today. Well, I was, I was so thrilled about it. That's got to be with Athena for an hour. <laughs> it was so good. So good. Oh, so wonderful. thank you so much for being with us. Just God's blessings on your ministry and on your substitute teaching and on just your continued quest to see him in every day. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Well, I am super excited to introduce you all to Denise Gooseby, who happens to be one of our contributors to, is it two editions of She Writes for Him? It is one edition. She Writes for Him, Stories of Living Hope. All right. You are in Stories of Living Hope. And Denise is also working on two different books that are in process with Redemption Press. And she was at one of our recent conferences and was chosen at that conference to share her Romans 828 story here on the All Things Podcast. So Denise, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You betcha. Well, I would just love to have you share your, I mean, we all have lots of Romans 828 stories. So, you know, it's kind of like, okay, Lord, which one do I share? But I, I just love to have our audience hear how God worked in your life, even when it didn't look like he was going to do it. So I'm going to just turn the digital stage over to you, Denise. Well, thank you. And, and I think what comes to my mind is that God never forgets our dreams. Three or four years ago, my dad passed. 
which was a very traumatic experience for me. Um, I had watched over him. I was his caretaker. And when he passed, not only did I lose him, but I moved. Basically, in one week, he died. And I moved, went to a whole new city, and started a whole new life. I literally found an apartment, had it furnished, and just started trying to live life anew without my dad. My mother had passed years before. My younger sister had passed years before. So I was literally, for the first time in 53 years, on my own. And I was like, what am I going to do, Lord? I mean, I hadn't been working because I was taking care of my dad. I had money from my house, which I had been in the process of selling because I knew that I had to have money to help my dad while he was alive, maybe put him in an assistant living, a living center. But God knows. <laughs> and his timing was impeccable. The, the house sold two days after my dad passed, and I had money that I did not even have. So once that took place, God just gave me a period of rest because I literally was just going, taking care of my dad, running back and forth between the doctors and doing errands. And he just said, you're, you're going to rest for the next couple of months. You're not going to do anything. And, and that's what I did. I just rested. And I thank him for giving me that time to be still beside the clear waters. Oh. Appreciated that. Amen. And that's just so, you know, I don't know, Christians, we're just not very good about grieving. Yes. We like think there's something unspiritual about it when, I mean, there's examples all the way through the Bible of yeah. grief and, you know, just the, the emotional wreckage that's, that comes from loss. And it's not like Jesus didn't have emotions. Of course he did. You know, so why wouldn't we? It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's, it's, it's totally natural. And if Jesus could weep, weep at the tomb of a friend that he knows he's going to raise from the dead, then we can certainly weep and go through what we go through. Mm. Amen. So tell us more how that story unfolded. Well, one evening, one of my friends from my old neighborhood invited me to a Bible study called Journey of Purpose. And immediately I was intrigued by that because my life verse is Psalm 138.8, which says the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And so I thought, hmm, okay, let me see what this is about. So I went and it turns out that that one night was actually an eight-week series about finding your purpose in God and finding out what he has called you to do. So I went through it, enjoyed the guest speakers, enjoyed the times of prayer and fellowship. We actually did the Daniel fast, a, a three-week Daniel fast during that time to, to sit before God and to have him show us what he would have us to do. And during that time, I felt like God told me, I want you to start a nonprofit, you know, healing song ministries, something that will serve people and comfort them. Because God has always, I felt, called me to be a comforter and an encourager. So sure enough, doors started opening and I started the nonprofit. We've been able to minister to veterans 
to seniors, to the community at large, to believers and non-believers with the words and the songs of God. And it has been a total blessing. Wow. So are you a songwriter as well? I am not necessarily a songwriter. I've written a couple of songs. I'm more of a vocalist. That's where my joy is, is is bringing the songs to touch people's hearts that God gives me. So I really appreciate that. So do you just go wherever God opens a door, a nursing home or uh, an event or how does that happen? Sometimes we will have our own, we'll sponsor our own. We've had prayer breakfasts and Christmas shows. Other times I've partnered with other nonprofits. There's a nonprofit here in Southern California called Street Racing Kills. And so we've had a couple of times where we've been able to worship and minister to families who lost loved ones right on the street where their loved ones passed. They've had ceremonies to honor them, and we've been there to sing and to play music. And it has been, oh, so awesome. Mm, I love that. So the Lord had you rest after your dad passed, and then he had you start a nonprofit. Did So at what point did the book ideas kind of come into play? Well, before even the book, he had me go back to college, which totally threw me. I did not see that coming. But he actually had me go back to college. Um, I just graduated last year from Biola University with a master's in nonprofit management. And I thought, okay, Laura, you want me to to build my nonprofit or work for another nonprofit? A month after I graduated, he called me into writing again, which I had done as a young girl. And I had a journalism degree. Uh, when I was in my 20s, and I even started working for a small uh, local newspaper. And I thought, you know, that I would do that for the rest of my life. Nope, he flipped the switch on me and I taught for 20 years. Wow. (laughs) So now at 55, he has me writing again. And it is the joy of my life. And I just love the doors that he's opened for me to write again, not only the books, but uh, to have a blog, you know, to possibly write for other people. So it's incredible what God will do if we're just open and if you just listen for his voice. Mm. And just to see, you know, out of that loss and pain, you know, so much has happened. that has, he's used. So much of it has happened. I just didn't see, just like the stories of living hope, you know, the, the compilation book that I've been honored to be in. I saw something on Facebook. And the next thing I know, I'm writing the article for that book. It was, it was submitted the next day. And then a week later, I hear that they accepted it. I'm like, really, Lord? (laughs) Really? Are you serious? Who does that? You know, it's just yeah. amazing. Wow. And it's such a, I mean, we've just seen so much great response from those that she writes compilation. Yes. Just so 
so many women being touched. And so, and because there's so many of you involved in that one edition, you're getting that story in front of so many more people than you would have if it was just you're the only one in there, which, you know, there's a place for both, Mm -hmm. but it's just, I love the baby steps, how he's just taking you one step at a time. And that's what he's done. I mean, before I even wrote the book, he had me attend several conferences and to read books about writing your book and writing your story specifically, because a lot of the book that I've written, it comes out of my experience. So it's just like he's been ordering my steps and he went before me and he's just leading me along the way. Mm, I love that. So as we kind of wrap this up, tell me what has helped you just remember that God is always working all things together for good, even when it maybe doesn't feel like it. I think when I take a breath and I remember where he's brought me from, not just four years ago when I lost my dad, but all through my 55 years of life, how he has carried me, how he has provided for me, how he has, he has littered my journey with, with seeds of gold, Mm. with seeds that, that, that I can pass on to others, whether it's wisdom or, or my experiences, which have been painful, but yet he has been a faithful God. Mm. And, you know, he's a gracious God because I still have times where I'm like, Lord, are you going to come through? Are you going to really do this? Can I truly trust you? Especially now being on my own, no parents, no siblings, no husband, can I really trust you to be all that I need? And he's still saying, yes, you can trust me. It's okay. It's okay. Amen. Amen. Well, if we have someone listening today that wants to maybe find you on social media or online, what's the best place for them to do that? Well, the best place is to, to contact me or to look at my website. It's denisegoosby.com. It has all of my social media. It also has blogs and it has songs that I actually sing for people. So they get the full flavor, right? And I'm on Facebook and all the other social media. Wonderful. Well, it has been a delight to have you on today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to meet with me across the miles and (laughs) record this podcast. Thank you so much, Denise. Honor is mine. Thank you. Amen. Well, Stacy Light, it is such a delight to have you here on the All Things Podcast uh, as one of our recent boot camp graduates. So welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you bet. So I want to just kind of give you the floor and have you, you know, we all have lots of Romans 828 moments as we go through our lives. So I had asked all of you boot campers to give me one that stands out that you felt would be encouraging to share on the podcast. So it was riveting as I read it. So why don't you just go ahead and share 
what God, you know, what happened, what God did and how he worked all things together for good. Sure. I'd be glad to. So a little backstory about me is that I've been an educator for 26 years um, and I've taught elementary and middle grades. And currently I'm teaching at the university level in North Carolina. And so um, I've had a lot of different experiences, but at the time of the story, I was a sixth grade language arts teacher. And I had only been in North Carolina a short period of time. So I was getting used to teaching sixth graders. I had been teaching third grade for 19 years previous to this. And I had really started to get into a rhythm and really enjoying sixth grade, really enjoying working with parents and loving my content area. But more than anything, I I love with all different grades, I love building connections and relationships with students and feel like that's the most important thing with, with every student that walks in my door. And as a teacher, I, my motto is there's a story in every seat. I say that all the time. If I don't know the story behind, say that again, I always say there's a story in every seat Mm. and I need to know the story behind every student. And if I don't know the story and I don't know how to connect with the student, then I probably won't be able to teach them at their level and they're not going to connect with me or think that I care about them the way that I really do. Mm, so I have to it, find out what makes them tick. And that helps you understand. I mean, if they've gone through some really hard stuff, mm-hmm. it gives you a little more compassion and understanding when they have a bad day or they have a reaction that doesn't seem necessarily appropriate. That's really, that's great wisdom for a teacher. Yeah. Well, and I feel like they just have to understand too, that we're people too. Mm. And so one of the things I do is I always share with the students some things that I've gone through and I don't get overly personal, but I share some things good and, and maybe some negatives that I've gone through so that they can see that I'm also a person and I've gone through some trials and tribulations and then they can see me as an, a person that's gone through some things and I'm not perfect either. And so then I tell them, you know, when I've gone through these things, one of the ways that it's, it's made me a better person is to reach out to people to talk about things and that I want to be there for them in that same way. So that's it good. helps build the connections when they are struggling, they can come to me. And so it gives them the, permission actually to be vulnerable with struggles. So that's good. Exactly. Yes. We start out the year by, you know, and I didn't do that early on in my teaching career. And I started realizing that there was something missing in my connections and relationships with students. And some of my students would come to me and some were not. And I thought, how can I bridge that gap with some of my students? How can I, how can I really make that difference? And Mm -hmm. giving them background about my life gave them opportunities to see that I was real. And I told them some very hurtful things that happened in my lifetime, nothing overly private, but things that I went through where I had someone die close to me, things like that, something that they might have to go through themselves where they understood that I had also gone through some pain and that I told them, you know, I, I sought out people of wisdom to help me get through times Mm -hmm. in my life. And if they asked, I would share with them that I talked to people in my church or to my pastor. If they didn't ask, then I wouldn't share that information. But if they did ask, 
then I would share that. Right. Because you're um, in a public school, right? That's where you're teaching. Yes. That. So yep. I always have to be very careful about what I say or how I say it. But if I'm asked, I'm not going to shy away from expressing what's important to me. Yeah. So in, in this situation, I was teaching sixth grade and I was teaching advanced language arts to a bunch of very bright young people. And I had a young man who was somewhat quiet and somewhat shy, but could always give a great answer. He would kind of stand back and listen, but he would always add something really good and critical thinking to the experience that we were talking about. And he had been gone for a full week of school. And I had reached out to the parent and asked, you know, is he okay? Do I need to send work home? And that was our practice. We generally reached out after two days by email or by phone and whatever the type of communication the parent wanted. And with this parent, it was via email. So I emailed a number of times and was not receiving responses. So I felt like if I didn't hear back in a couple of days, then I would reach out to the social worker and see if she had heard something. And that was, that was generally our practice. So eventually that following week, the young man came back to school and our practice was to always stand at the door and greet every student walking in. And so I would say something to every student. We had a special handshake and a dance or something special for every child so that, you know, we had something between us that made them feel welcome. And I noticed that when he arrived, he didn't look like his normal self. And I thought maybe he had been sick, so maybe he still wasn't feeling good. So I didn't kind of jump in and attack him with too much joy because I thought maybe he wasn't still feeling well. So I remember patting him on the shoulder and him pulling his shoulder away from me. But at that time, I didn't take too much into account for it because a lot of times middle school boys didn't really want to have too much affection from their teachers. And so I didn't think much of it. And he was kind of a shy kid. So I just let him move on and go into start working on his journal writing for that day. And they always started their day by journal writing. So he went in and started doing what he was always supposed to do. And throughout the day, I noticed that he was not really answering questions, really communicating with students. He was just sitting there kind of in a trance, not doing anything. So I just was taking mental notes. And as I always did with students, if something was concerning to me, I knew that I could always sit down and jot down some notes or contact the parent later. And I didn't know whether it was just that he wasn't feeling well or whether something else was going on, but I was going to reach out later about that. So at the end of class, the other students left to go to their math teacher and he stayed back and said, can I speak with you? And when he did, I said, sure. I only have a couple of minutes before my next group comes, but I'm happy to have you talk with me. And at that moment, he had his head bowed down so far that I couldn't see his eyes. And I remember his eyes were, his hair was hanging down into his eyes. And I was trying to kind of like look under his hair to see his face. And I asked him, you know, can you look at me? But he wouldn't. And I couldn't figure out why he wouldn't look at me because normally he was a student that would look me in the eye. So I thought, all right, well, I'm not going to press this. But he began to tell me that his father had lost his job. And I 
just listened as he began to tell me. And I remember looking down and seeing his hand shake as he was telling me the story. And as he started talking, his hands were beginning to shake harder as if he were almost scared at the time. And he began to talk about how his father was so angry about losing his job that he ended up taking out his anger on him that evening and hitting him and striking him. And he didn't go into detail about how bad the abuse had been, but suffice it to say, it was enough for me to be very worried. And then it, it later on, it registered to me. I think that's why he had probably moved his shoulder away from me at that earlier time period. So I, I went on, I sent him on to his next class. I didn't want to have the other students realize something was going on. I did ask him if I could get permission to share that information with a social worker and an administrator. And he said, yes. So I said to him, do you realize what that means? And he said, yes. And so I, I didn't think he really understood that that meant that child protective services would get involved. But at that time, I just needed him to know that administrators and social workers might have this information. And it, it was my duty to tell them. He seemed okay with it. So later on, I talked with the math teacher and sure enough, he had shared some information, not the full amount of information with the math teacher. So later in the day, after the student had gone through classes, we went up to the administrator and social worker and shared that information and reported what we had heard from the child. And that was really hard to do because although we take an oath to do that, we had also been told that there were times that sometimes this particular agency in our area didn't keep things anonymous. And so although I knew that that was potentially a concern that they may not keep my name anonymous, I knew that I had to do that. So I went ahead and reported my concerns. The math teacher came along with me, but was not the person to do the reporting. And then that same evening, uh, Child Protective Services came to that home and talked to the parent and gave them a warning. What I heard later on was that the parent had asked the child, who did you tell about this? And the child told the parent my name. And that outraged the parent. And, and so I, I was not prepared for the next morning when the parent came flying into my classroom, banging on the door while I was teaching. Mm. So, you know, you don't expect a parent to come to your door and enraged like that, but he was truly terrifying, banging on the door, truly salivating, spitting in my face. And the other students in the class, when I opened the door, could see the whole thing unfold. So I stepped into the hallway, sharing with him that although I could tell he had some concerns, this was not the time to talk with me about his concerns. And although I was shaking in my boots <laughs> and terrified, I just kept praying God would, would give me a Goliath and David moment because 
I was terrified of him and knew he was so much bigger than I was. Right. But I felt so tiny in his presence. But I also had to make sure that I stayed professional and kept that persona in front of my students, which I was able to do, but only truly through God's help because Mm. I was terrified. Mm. Wow. So then what happened after that? I mean, he came, he made a big scene. Yeah. He tried to intimidate you. He's a bully, obviously. Yes. Well, so then- our, um, it, w- it was heard down the hallway. So our SRO officer in our school that worked there daily, our police officer was summoned by another teacher and he was escorted out of the building. And what started the following morning was I woke up getting ready to go to work and happened to look out the front window to check the weather and saw his car sitting in front of my, my house, just sitting there. And I was peeking out the window, wondering who it was. And it registered to me, oh my goodness, this is the parent of that child. What is he doing out here? And he was just staring at my home and I did not know what to do. So I made a call to the SRO officer from inside the home. And he said, stay in the home. Don't do anything. If he comes up to the home or he does anything to you, you can call the police. But if he just sits there, there's nothing you can do about that. He's not doing anything. He's not on your property. So it was an intimidation type thing. And he knew (laughs) it was very much bullying, but it was horribly intimidating. Yeah. And this went on Athena for six months, (gasps) six months. And what I found out later through all this was that the the parent had been a lawyer in a different state and very much knew their rights and the laws and skirted all the laws and knew exactly what they could get away with and had been disbarred in that state, by the way. Wow. Yeah. And so they knew exactly what they could get away with, but eventually the parents started following my teenage son to school. And that to me was the cherry on top of the cake. It was enough that he was bullying me and harassing me somehow had found out my contact information and would call and text me. But he also started following my son. And then he would text me and say, Oh, I saw your son today. He looks so nice in that green shirt going to school today. But the way he texted it made it sound like he was being kind. Oh, he's such a handsome boy. Instead of saying something, you know, it was just really passive aggressive and awful. So, you know, someone reading the text would think it was a nice compliment, but it was really just an intimidation. So, okay. So we have about three or four more minutes to wrap this up from, so this is six months. Are you six months in right now? Are you? Yeah. I mean, this, this was probably about three or four months in, but it continued on. And I finally had the SRO officer help me get protective paperwork done. And he was not allowed to be within 500 feet of me, was not allowed to be in the school anymore. And it had gotten to a point where it was at a head and I was miserable. I was anxious all the time. I was looking over my shoulder all the time. And to be honest with you, Athena, I was not acting very Christian-like because more than 
not my, you know, my human part of me would, would always revert back to, you know, I need a security system and a gun to protect myself versus going to God. Right. And then all of a sudden I had a conversation with our pastor and he just lit a fire under me. He said, you are really looking in the wrong, the wrong places because your fear is growing because you're looking to man to help you. Mm -hmm. And you're looking to things to help you such as a security system. Right. And he said, you need to look to the one who can help you. And I did. And that to me was when I was able to sleep at night again, and I was able to move forward, no matter what he did, Right. I was able to move forward. Mm-hmm. I would still see him in the grocery store. And instead of having horrid fear, I would smile and say, Hey, good to see you. Have a good day. While my stomach was churning and I thought I would get sick, but the Lord was able to allow me to be gracious sometimes, even face to face with somebody that was tormenting me mm. publicly. So what I love about that story is this horrible experience drove you to the Lord. Yes. I mean, it increased yes. your intimacy with the Lord, increased it, your prayer life, had all these great results from this horrible bullying intimidation fiasco. It did. Wow. Absolutely did. And I will say it's been a catalyst that has driven me to just go to him more and more and has strengthened my relationship with God. Mm. And, you know, I've been a Christian most of my life, but I have walked with him in a new way since that moment. Yeah. Um, And so honestly, it probably has been one of the best things that happened to me. Mm. I can see that now, but at that time I really couldn't see it, Yeah. but now I see it. Yeah. And the other piece is just for you to have that experience and to be able to share that with some of the kids that you're, your students that you're teaching now to be able to, you know, here's what I went through and I found out I need to, I need to go to God, not try and, you know, get guns. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's really easy to want to try to control the situation yourself. Right. And you and I both know we can't control what's going on in somebody else's head nope. or what their next move is going to be. And um, my pastor really helped me see that um, I was going to things and not to the one to help me. And until I turned to God, I was not going to be able to heal my heart and heal mm-hmm. my fears. Right. And it's great because now when I'm fearful about something going on with my children or my grandchildren, I go to God first. Yep. I don't go to other things first. And it's, nice. it just is so much, uh, it just. It's the only way to really grow and allow him to sanctify you and to teach you what he wants to teach you. I mean, the, he gives, those are great opportunities that yeah. if we look at it the right way, go, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me here? What do you want me to learn? What can, how yes. can this help somebody else? It's absolutely, I love that. Wow. 
Absolutely. Well, Stacy, this has just been delightful. Do you like have a website or anything like that? We can, or social media where you're active if anybody wants to connect with you? I do. It's called Good One God and it's a WordPress site. It's called it's stacylight.wordpress.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It has thank been an you. absolute delight. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it so much. That. Take care. Well, thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would, consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media. And if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would love it if you would take a minute to do that as it would help other people find the show and also let them know that it's a show worth listening to. So thanks so much for joining us today and I will see you next week. Bye for now.